0: part seven of a collection of stories reviews and essays by willis ebert cather this librivox recording is in the public domain part seven the namesake seven of us students sat one evening at hartwell's studio on the boulevard st michel we were all fellow-countrymen one from new hampshire one from colorado another from nevada several from the farmlands of the middle west and myself from california Lion Hartwell, though born abroad, was simply, as everyone knew, from America. He seemed almost more than any other one living man to mean all of it, from ocean to ocean. When he was in Paris, his studio was always open to the seven of us, who were there that evening, and we intruded upon his leisure as often as we thought permissible although we were within the terms of the easiest of all intimacies and although the great sculptor even when he was more than usually silent was at all times the most gravely cordial of hosts yet on that long-remembered evening as the sunlight died on the burnished brown of the horse-chestnuts below the windows a perceptible dullness yawned through our conversation we were indeed somewhat low in spirit for one of our number charlie bentley was leaving us indefinitely in response to an imperative summons from home to-morrow his studio just across the hall from hartwell's was to pass into other hands and bentley's luggage was even now piled in discouraged resignation before his door the various bales and boxes seemed literally to weigh upon us as we sat in his neighbor's hospitable rooms drearily putting in the time till he should leave us to catch the ten o'clock express for dieppe the day we had got through very comfortably for bentley made it the occasion of a somewhat pretentious luncheon at maxime's there had been twelve of us at table and the two young poles were thirsty the gascon so fabulously entertaining that it was near upon five o'clock when we put down our liqueur glasses for the last time and the red perspiring waiter having pocketed the reward of his arduous and protracted services bowed us affably to the door flourishing his napkin and brushing back the streaks of wet black hair from his rosy forehead our guests having betaken themselves belated to their respective engagements the rest of us returned with bentley only to be confronted by the depressing array before his door a glance about his denuded rooms had sufficed to chill the glow of the afternoon and we fled across the hall in a body and begged lyon hartwell to take us in bentley had said very little about it but we all knew what it meant to him to be called home each of us knew what it would mean to himself and each had felt something of that quickened sense of opportunity which comes at seeing another man in any way counted out of the race never had the game seemed so enchanting the chance to play it such a piece of unmerited unbelievable good fortune it must have been i think about the middle of october for i remember that the sycamores were almost bare in the luxembourg gardens that morning and the terrace about the queens of france were strewn with crackling brown leaves the fat red roses out the summer long on the stand of the old flower-woman at the corner had given place to dahlias and purple asters first glimpses of autumn toilettes flashed from the carriages wonderful little bonnets nodded at one along the champs Elysees and in the Gatier, an occasional feather boa red or black or white brushed one's coat-sleeve in the gay twilight of the early evening the crisp sunny autumn air was all day full of the stir of people and carriages and of the cheer of salutations greetings of the students returned brown and bearded from their holiday gossip of people come back from trouville from saint Valerie, from dieppe and from all over brittany and the norman coast everywhere was the joyousness of return the taking up again of life and work and play i had felt ever since early morning that this was the saddest of all possible seasons for saying good-bye to that old old city of youth and to that little corner of it on the south shore which since the dark ages themselves well, yes and before has been so peculiarly the land of the young i can recall our very postures as we lounged about hartwell's rooms that evening with bentley making occasional hurried trips to his desolated workrooms across the hall as if haunted by a feeling of having forgotten something or stopping to poke nervously at his perroquets which he had bequeathed to hartwell gilt cage and all our host himself sat on the couch his big, bronze-like shoulders backed up against the window, his shaggy head, beaked nose, and long chin cut clean against the gray light. Our drowsing interest, in so far as it could be said to be fixed upon anything, was centered upon Hartwell's new figure, which stood on the block ready to be cast in bronze, intended as a monument for some American battlefield. He called it the Color Sergeant it was the figure of a young soldier running clutching the folds of a flag the staff of which had been shot away we had known it in all the stages of its growth and the splendid action and feeling of the thing had come to have a kind of special significance for the half-dozen of us who often gathered in hartwell's rooms though in truth there was as much to dishearten one as to inflame in the case of a man who had done so much in a field so amazingly difficult who had thrown up in bronze all the restless teeming force of that adventurous wave still climbing westward in our own land across the waters we recalled his scout his pioneer his gold-seekers and those monuments in which he had invested one and another of the heroes of the civil war with such convincing dignity and power where in the world does he get the heat to make an idea like that carry bentley remarked morosely scowling at the clay figure hang me hartwell if i don't think it's just because you're not really an american at all that you can look at it like that the big man shifted uneasily against the window. Yes, he replied, smiling, perhaps there is something in that. My citizenship was somewhat belated and emotional in its flowering. I've half a mind to tell you about it, Bentley. He rose uncertainly and, after hesitating a moment, went back into his workroom where he began fumbling among the litter in the corners at the prospect of any sort of personal expression from hartwell we glanced questioningly at one another for although he made us feel that he liked to have us about we were always held at a distance by a certain diffidence of his there were rare occasions when he was in the heat of work or of ideas when he forgot to be shy but they were so exceptional that no flattery was quite so seductive as being taken for a moment into hartwell's confidence even in the matter of opinions the commonest of currency in our circle he was niggardly and prone to qualify no man ever guarded his mystery more effectually there was a singular intense spell therefore about those few evenings when he had broken through this excessive modesty or shyness or melancholy and had as it were committed himself when Hartwell returned from the back room, he brought with him an unframed canvas, which he put on an easel near his clay figure. We drew close about it, for the darkness was rapidly coming on. Despite the dullness of the light, we instantly recognized the boy of Hartwell's color-sergeant. It was the portrait of a very handsome lad in uniform, standing beside a charger impossibly rearing not only in his radiant countenance and flashing eyes but in every line of his young body there was an energy a gallantry a joy of life that arrested and challenged one yes that's where i got the notion hartwell remarked wandering back to his seat in the window i've wanted to do it for years but i've never felt quite sure of myself i was afraid of missing it he was an uncle of mine, my father's half-brother, and I was named for him. He was killed in one of the big battles of sixty-four when I was a child. I never saw him, never knew him until he had been dead for twenty years, and then one night I came to know him, as we sometimes do living persons, intimately in a single moment. He paused to knock the ashes out of his short pipe refilled it and puffed at it thoughtfully for a few moments with his hands on his knees then settling back heavily among the cushions and looking absently out of the window he began his story as he proceeded further and further into the experience which he was trying to convey to us his voice sank so low and was sometimes so charged with feeling that i almost thought he had forgotten our presence and was remembering aloud even bentley forgot his nervousness in astonishment and sat breathless under the spell of the man's thus breathing his memories out into the dusk it was just fifteen years ago this last spring that i first went home and bentley's having to cut away like this brings it all back to me i was born you know in italy my father was a sculptor though i dare say you've not heard of him he was one of those first fellows who went over after story and powers went to italy for art quite simply to lift from its native bough the willing iridescent bird their story is told informingly enough by some of those ingenuous marble things at the metropolitan my father came over some time before the outbreak of the civil war and was regarded as a renegade by his family because he did not go home to enter the army his half-brother the only child of my grandfather's second marriage enlisted at fifteen and was killed the next year i was ten years old when the news of his death reached us my mother died the following winter and i was sent away to a jesuit school while my father already ill himself stayed on at rome chipping away at his indian maidens and marble goddesses still gloomily seeking the thing for which he had made himself the most unhappy of exiles he died when i was fourteen but even before that i had been put to work under an italian sculptor he had an almost morbid desire that i should carry on his work under as he often pointed out to me conditions so much more auspicious he left me in the charge of his one intimate friend an american gentleman in the consulate at rome and his instructions were that i was to be educated there and to live there until i was twenty-one after i was of age i came to paris and studied under one master after another until i was nearly thirty then almost for the first time i was confronted by a duty which was not my pleasure my grandfather's death at an advanced age left an invalid maiden sister of my father's quite alone in the world she had suffered for years from a cerebral disease a slow decay of the faculties which rendered her almost helpless i decided to go to america and if possible bring her back to paris where I seemed on my way toward what my poor father had wished for me. On my arrival at my father's birthplace, however, I found that this was not to be thought of. To tear this timid, feeble, shrinking creature, doubly aged by years and illness, from the spot where she had been rooted for a lifetime, would have been little short of brutality. To leave her to the care of strangers seemed equally heartless. There was clearly nothing for me to do but to remain and wait for that slow and painless malady to run its course i was there something over two years my grandfather's home his father's homestead before him lay on the high banks of a river in western pennsylvania the little town twelve miles down the stream whither my great-grandfather used to drive his ox-wagon on market days had become in two generations one of the largest manufacturing cities in the world for hundreds of miles about us the gentle hill slopes were honeycombed with gas wells and coal shafts oil derricks creaked in every valley and meadow the brooks were sluggish and discolored with crude petroleum and the air was impregnated by its searching odor the great glass and iron manufactories had come up and up the river almost to our very door their smoky exhalations brooded over us and their crashing was always in our ears i was plunged into the very incandescence of human energy but though my nerves tingled with the feverish passionate endeavor which snapped in the very air about me none of these great arteries seemed to feed me this tumultuous life did not warm me. On every side were the great muddy rivers, the ragged mountains from which the timber was being ruthlessly torn away, the vast tracts of wild country, and the gulches that were like wounds in the earth. Everywhere the glare of that relentless energy which followed me like a searchlight and seemed to scorch and consume me i could only hide myself in the tangled garden where the droppings of a leaf or the whistle of a bird was the only incident the hartwell homestead had been sold away little by little until all that remained of it was garden and orchard the house a square brick structure stood in the midst of a great garden which sloped toward the river ending in a grassy bank which fell some forty feet to the water's edge the garden was now little more than a tangle of neglected shrubbery damp rank and of that intense blue-green peculiar to vegetation in smoky places where the sun shines but rarely and the mists form early in the evening and hang late in the morning i shall never forget it as i saw it first when i arrived there in the chill of a backward june the long rank grass thick and soft and falling in billows was always wet until midday the gravel walks were bordered with great lilac bushes mock orange and bridal wreath back of the house was a neglected rose garden surrounded by a low stone wall over which the long suckers trailed and matted they had wound their pink thorny tentacles layer upon layer about the lock and the hinges of the rusty iron gate even the porches of the house and the very windows were damp and heavy with growth wisteria clematis honeysuckle and trumpet vine the garden was grown up with trees especially that part of it which lay above the river the bark of the old locusts was blackened by the smoke that crept continually up the valley and their feathery foliage so merry in its movement and so yellow and joyous in its color seemed peculiarly precious under that sombre sky there were sycamores and copper beeches gnarled apple trees too old to bear and fall pear trees hung with a sharp hard fruit in october all with a leafage singularly rich and luxuriant and peculiarly vivid in color the oaks about the house had been old trees when my great-grandfather built his cabin there more than a century before and this garden was almost the only spot for miles along the river where any of the original forest growth still survived the smoke from the mills was fatal to trees of the larger sort and even these had the look of doomed things bent a little toward the town and seemed to wait with head inclined before that oncoming shrieking force about the river too there was a strange hush a tragic submission it was so leaden and sullen in its color and it flowed so soundlessly forever past our door i sat there every evening on the high veranda overlooking it watching the dim outlines of the steep hills on the other shore the flicker of the lights on the island where there was a boat-house and listening to the call of the boatmen through the mist the mist came as certainly as night whitened by moonshine or starshine the tin water pipes went splash-splash with it all evening, and the wind, when it arose at all, was little more than a sighing of the old boughs and a troubled breath in the heavy grasses. At first it was to think of my distant friends and my old life that I used to sit there, but after a while it was simply to watch the days and weeks go by, like the river which seemed to carry them away. Within the house I was never at home month followed month and yet i could feel no sense of kinship with anything there under the roof where my father and grandfather were born i remained utterly detached the sombre rooms never spoke to me the old furniture never seemed tinctured with race this portrait of my boy-uncle was the only thing to which i could draw near the only link with anything i had ever known before there was a good deal of my father in the face but it is my father transformed and glorified his hesitating discontent drowned in a kind of triumph from my first day in that house i continually turned to this handsome kinsman of mine wondering in what terms he had lived and had his hope what he had found there to look like that to bound at one after all these years so joyously out of the canvas from the timid, clouted old woman over whose life I had come to watch, I learned that in the backyard near the old rose garden, there was a locust tree which my uncle had planted. After his death, while it was still a slender sapling, his mother had a seat built around it, and she used to sit there on summer evenings. His grave was under the apple trees in the old orchard. My aunt could tell me little more than this there were days when she seemed not to remember him at all it was from an old soldier in the village that i learned the boy's story lyon was the old man told me but fourteen when the first enlistment occurred but was even then eager to go he was in the courthouse square every evening to watch the recruits at their drill and when the home company was ordered off he rode into the city on his pony to see the men board the train and to wave them good-bye the next year he spent at home with a tutor but when he was fifteen he held his parents to their promise and went into the army he was color sergeant of his regiment and fell in a charge upon the breastworks of a fort about a year after his enlistment the veteran showed me an account of this charge which had been written for the village paper by one of my uncle's comrades who had seen his part in the engagement it seems that as his company were running at full speed across the bottom lands toward the fortified hill a shell burst over them this comrade running beside my uncle saw the colours waver and sink as if falling and looked to see that the boy's hand and forearm had been torn away by the exploding shrapnel the boy he thought did not realize the extent of his injury for he laughed shouted something which his comrade did not catch caught the flag in his left hand and ran on up the hill they went splendidly up over the breastworks but just as my uncle his colors flying reached the top of the embankment a second shell carried away his left arm at the armpit and he fell over the wall with the flag settling about him it was because this story was ever present with me because i was unable to shake it off that i began to read such books as my grandfather had collected about the civil war i found that this war was fought largely by boys that more men enlisted at eighteen than at any other age when i thought of those battlefields and i thought of them much in those days there was always that glory of youth about them that impetuous generous passion stirring the long lines on the march the blue battalions in the plain the bugle whenever i have heard it since has always seemed to me the very golden throat of that boyhood which spent itself so gaily so incredibly i used often to wonder how it was that this uncle of mine who seemed to have possessed all the charm and brilliancy allotted to his family and to have lived up its vitality in one splendid hour had left so little trace in the house where he was born and where he had awaited his destiny look as i would i could find no letters from him no clothing or books that might have been his he had been dead but twenty years and yet nothing seemed to have survived except the tree he had planted it seemed incredible and cruel that no physical memory of him should linger to be cherished among his kindred nothing but the dull image in the brain of that aged sister i used to pace the garden walks in the evening wondering that no breath of his no echo of his laugh of his call to his pony or his whistle to his dog should linger about those shaded paths where the pale roses exhaled their dewy country smell. Sometimes, in the dim starlight, I have thought that I heard on the grasses beside me the stir of a footfall lighter than my own, and under the black arch of the lilacs, I have fancied that he bore me company. There was, I found, one day in the year for which my old aunt waited, and which stood out from the months that were all of a sameness to her. On the 30th of May, she insisted that I should bring down the big flag from the attic, and run it up upon the tall flagstaff beside Lion's Tree in the garden. Later in the morning, she went with me to carry some of the garden flowers to the grave in the orchard, a grave scarcely larger than a child's. I had noticed, when I was hunting for the flag in the attic, a leather trunk with my own name stamped upon it but was unable to find the key my aunt was all day less apathetic than usual she seemed to realize more clearly who i was and to wish me to be with her i did not have an opportunity to return to the attic until after dinner that evening when i carried a lamp upstairs and easily forced the lock of the trunk i found all the things that i had looked for put away doubtless by his mother and still smelling faintly of lavender and rose-leaves his clothes his exercise-books his letters from the army his first boots his riding-whip some of his toys even i took them out and replaced them gently as i was about to shut the lid i picked up a copy of the aeneid on the fly-leaf of which was written in a slanting boyish hand Lion hartwell january eighteen sixty two he had gone to the wars in sixty three i remembered my uncle i gathered was none too apt at his latin for the pages were dog-eared and rubbed and interlined the margins mottled with pencil sketches bugles stacked bayonets and artillery carriages in the act of putting the book down i happened to run over the pages to the end and on the fly-leaf at the back i saw his name again and a drawing with his initials and a date of the federal flag above it written in a kind of arch and in the same unformed hand oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming it was a stiff wooden sketch, not unlike a detail from some Egyptian inscription, but the moment I saw it, wind and colour seemed to touch it. I caught up the book, blew out the lamp, and rushed down into the garden. I seemed somehow at last to have known him, to have been with him in that careless, unconscious moment, and to have known him as he was then. As i sat there in the rush of this realization the wind began to rise stirring the light foliage of the locust over my head and bringing fresher than before the woody odor of the pale roses that overran the little neglected garden then as it grew stronger it brought the sound of something sighing and stirring over my head in the perfumed darkness i thought of that sad one of the destinies who as the greeks believed watched from birth over those marked for a violent or untimely death oh i could see him there in the shine of the morning his book idly on his knee his flashing eyes looking straight before him and at his side that grave figure hidden in her draperies her eyes following his but seeing so much farther seeing what he never saw that great moment at the end when he swayed above his comrades on the earthen wall all this while the bunting i had run up in the morning flapped fold against fold heaving and tossing softly in the dark against a sky so black with rain-clouds that i could see above me only the blur of something in soft troubled motion the experience of that night coming so overwhelmingly to a man so dead almost rent me in pieces it was the same feeling that artists know when we rarely achieve truth in our work the feeling of union with some great force of purpose and security of being glad that we had lived for the first time i felt the pull of race and blood and kindred and felt beating within me things that had not begun with me it was as if the earth under my feet had grasped me and rooted me and were pouring its essence into me i sat there until the dawn of morning and all night long my life seemed to be pouring out of me and running into the ground hartwell drew a long breath that lifted his heavy shoulders and then let them fall again he shifted a little and faced more squarely the scattered silent company before him the darkness had made us almost invisible to each other and except for the occasional red circuit of a cigarette end travelling upward from the arm of a chair he might have supposed us all asleep and so hartwell added thoughtfully i naturally feel an interest in fellows who are going home it's always an experience no one said anything and in a moment there was a loud rap at the door the concierge come to take down bentley's luggage and to announce that the cab was below bentley got his hat and coat enjoined hartwell to take good care of his perroquets gave each of us a grip of the hand and went briskly down the long flights of stairs we followed him into the street, calling our good wishes, and saw him start on his drive across the lighted city to the Gare Saint-Lazare. McClure's March 1907 End of Part 7